Hey guys, welcome to episode eight of the Lift Smart podcast here. This is our next guest episode. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be joined by Amber Dawn, who uh, I've known since I um, was doing prescript with her uh, last year, but we actually lived and worked in Edmonton around the same time. So uh, pretty weird that we had this uh, six degrees of separation this entire time where we were always in the same city, but didn't know each other and ended up meeting uh, sometime after. So uh, Amber's a really great coach. She gives a lot of unique perspectives here. I was very happy to be able to get her on uh, onto the podcast to talk to everybody. So we really do go into a lot of how we can start to be more discerning in our selection of who we work with and what's really important uh, about listening to people and, and how we can just apply those skills to to coaching and how we can start taking a more beneficial mindset to, to our own performance and the people that we work with as coaches and as athletes. So make sure that you listen uh, all the way through here. She's got some, as I said, some really unique and great perspectives that she's added. And I really hope everybody enjoys uh, the episode here. Cheers. All right, Amber, welcome to uh, the Lift Smart podcast. I'm uh, really happy to have you on here, man. I, I always uh, appreciate talking to you and I certainly appreciate you setting aside the time. What time is it in Vancouver right now? It's 5.30 p.m. Oh, that's not too bad. Uh, that's no. that's not so bad. It's not as rude as I thought it might be. Um, sometimes no, I'm worried <laughs> when I when I give people a, a sort of narrow field of times to book in. I'm like, oh, I hope these aren't going to be too ordinary for you, and Is you don't have to get morning? up super early. There's yeah, it's morning you. here, so it's like 10 a.m. here. Okay. Uh, in the future for you, so we're a day. Yeah, ahead. you're tomorrow. Yes, that's right. We're coming at you from tomorrow. So. Um, like I said, I, I'm, I'm really excited to be able to talk to you, not only because we have this sort of really odd uh, six degrees of separation thing happening in the entire time I was in Edmonton, knew the same people as you, but never knew you. Um, but also because I think you're, you're going to have some really uh, solid perspectives on a couple of things that I think will be genuinely interesting to a lot of people. So uh, for the people that are less familiar with you, I'm sure there's going to be a couple of people that know you or know of you, but for the people that are less familiar with you, um, tell us a bit about yourself, you know, what you do, who you are as a coach, your background, everything like that. Sure. Um, so I'm Amber Dawn. I'm originally from Edmonton, Alberta. Um, I'm now living in Vancouver, Washington, down in the States. And I just recently made that move back in November. Um, I have been personal training and coaching for almost four years now, and I, I still work with plenty of in-person individuals, and a lot of my business is online now. That, that has definitely changed since I moved down to the States. Kind of a goal of mine, but mm -hmm. um, I will, I'll never stop working with people in person. Yeah. Um, it keeps us fresh as trainers and coaches, um, and it helps keep our eyes very keen. Well, it's just fun so, as well, right? Like it's just, yeah, it's, yeah I think people, we always have this like uh, urge to almost like rationalize why we train mm -hmm. people one-on-one. -on -one. We're always like, because it, you know, it gives you these skills and it, it does this. And it's like, okay, like I agree with all that, but it's also really fun. And I just really like working with people. Absolutely. You build, the, uh, you build relationships with those people. Yeah. 
and they hopefully are excited to see you however many times they see you every week. Um, and it's just, it's, it's nice to get an hour with those individuals mm. every, every week. So, yeah. So where did you, uh, like what got you started in coaching, I guess, like what was that impetus? Um, like, what did that look like for you? Well, I still remember telling, so I, I worked with a personal trainer back in Edmonton. Um, you may have heard of him. His name is Anthony Harder. No, um, not familiar. He, he was, but I mean, there's plenty of people that I, I, I he's don't actually know. Living, he's, he's in Australia now. Okay, actually. cool. But um, we started working together in 2014. Mm-hmm. And I remember telling him that I would never work with people. <laughs> I would never be a personal trainer. <laughs> and, and here uh, we are. Here we are. Yeah. Uh, eventually, I just I found myself engulfed in... Um, wanting to educate myself, uh, like I, watching YouTube videos, reading as much as I could. I just, I just wanted to help people because I was learning. It was making an impact on my life and my well-being, And I wanted to pass that on essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was working an office job, like a very cushy office, ma- office managerial role. And I just decided to quit one day and start a business. Mm-hmm. So like, <laughs> um, what, what was that? for you like what what was that moment like because there there are people that dream about that right like I remember specifically for me the day I stopped where I was like I'm done with teaching I'm not doing it anymore um not in a broad sense but as a high school teacher so what was that moment for you well it was it was terrifying for one but it was very freeing um because the individuals that I was working with actually very much supported it Mm -hmm. they knew that I was unhappy with what I was doing and when it came to the situation where I brought it up to them, they wholeheartedly supported it. And the funny thing was, is the gym that I went to work at was actually across the street from the office that I was working in. And they they would come in and train there. And it it was like, we never lost touch, but they were just like, you know, they continued to support me. It's super cool to see you doing what you're doing. You're just so happy doing what you're Mm. doing. And it was. it was very hard, of course, because I didn't have um, a following. I didn't start in a good life uh, mm-hmm. or any box gym. So I had to work my ass off to build up a clientele. Um, but I've always kind of done the whole throw fire, like just throw gas on it and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I have a friend back home, Andrew Coates, who... Yep. Has, who has been a friend of mine for a long time and he he was very very supportive and he helped me through the beginning of I guess this whole journey and he, he gave me a lot of really great advice that I still remember to this day and mm-hmm. Dean Guido was also a friend as well and he he was inspirational in this this whole trip yeah so, it, yeah. it's interesting that um I always find it funny that Edmonton actually seems to produce these really, really great coaches. Uh, not only yeah. like yourself, but there's Andrew, like you mentioned, there's Dean Somerset, who's mm-hmm. also in Edmonton, which is, um, it, I don't, I, I don't think there's, it's, I couldn't say like, Oh, there's something in the water. It just happens to be that there's some really great coaches coming out of that city and people don't seem to really uh, join, join those dots as much. And I guess like, that's, that, that's probably a question that I, I would like to ask you is how did you find 
starting your career in Edmonton, which is primarily, let's say like finance and resource driven, right? Like as mm-hmm. a, as very much an oil town, like the hockey team mm-hmm. is named the Oilers, right? Yeah. So how, how did you find a transition going from not only the security of office work, but you know, that's probably more held up and valued at the time, I would imagine mm-hmm. as being like a genuine career as opposed to fitness, which may have been, I'm not going to say laughed at, but not seen as viable for people. Like, did, did you find that there was a lot of initial resistance to fitness when you initially started four years ago? Like, what's that transition been? Have you seen many changes in, in the perception or the zeitgeist of that? Uh, I would say yes, um, yeah. because it, it seems that it has grown exponentially in Edmonton. Um, when I started, it wasn't like, it definitely wasn't that big. Strength training wasn't as big. Powerlifting mm-hmm. wasn't that big. And through the years, like even in the gym that I worked at, which was um, Evolve Downtown, it exploded. The fitness mm-hmm. community just like blew up. And I think it was just something shifted. Yeah. Um, the environment in Edmonton changed and we, you know, like we named a lot of really fantastic trainers back in Edmonton. And I think people just start to become more aware. Mm-hmm. More um, aware of what do you think? I think the facilities that we had um, sure. evolved really kind of changed things in Edmonton. And um, we didn't have facilities like that. And that brought a lot of different individuals in, particularly downtown, which was you know, every evolve is laid out the same. Um, it is very uh, sports driven. However, mm. the downtown location brought a more gen pop um, fitness focused uh, scene. And it's when people knew that that facility was there, I think things started to kind of change. Yeah. Um, and it just, it grew from there. Yeah. What was your experience, I guess, additionally in being a strength focused coach, I mean, that's, that's sort of like one thing that already would have been a little bit more obtuse. Cause even I remember, you know, being in Canada at the time, like I was in Canada four years ago for sure. Mm-hmm. And powerlifting still wasn't particularly big, right? It wasn't no. particularly big. It wasn't really this, uh, I would say like commercially known thing. People weren't really approaching you a lot and be like, hey, I want to learn the power lifts. Like it would just be mm-hmm. like, oh, I just want to squat bench dead, you know, whatever that is. Yeah. Um, being a being a strength coach in a lesser known sport, like as a female, like what was that experience <laughs> for you? Like, cause I I can't like I can only see things through my quite limited lens, right? Like I'm a I I I, I struggled in PT. Right. I, I did. Mm-hmm. PT is tough. I'm never going to say like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, you love it. You work it. You never work a day in your life. Like you work your ass mm-hmm. off as a PT. Right? Yeah. You're in there for like in the gym for endless hours and you're getting paid for a fraction of them. Yeah. But I also maybe fell into what was considered more of the norm, you know, in PT. Mm-hmm. So I started in a box gym. I had a Mm -hmm. lot of leads given to me. I had a lot of infrastructure around me and I wasn't really trying to focus on any kind of like particular niche because of that. I I could just like fall into leads. I still had to work hard, but I'd fall into leads. And your experience as a female strength coach, what was that starting off? Like, cause you're exposed to 
different obstacles, right? It was, it was very difficult. Absolutely. Mm. Um, and for a long time, I struggled to kind of find my identity. I wanted to be a part of this, this YEG fitness scene for a little bit. And mm -hmm. then I just decided that's not who I am because it isn't who I am. Um, and there was one thing that Andrew told me um, that I still remember today and I pass it on to other people is that like, you essentially just don't try to be anything that you're not. Stick to what you know and that's gonna mm -hmm. bring people in. And regardless of what the scene was in Edmonton per se, I, I stuck to my guns and I did what I loved and I coached mm -hmm. what I loved. And that, that passion comes out of you and people feel it and whether you want to compete or not that's fine but I was slowly starting to get more people wanting to come to me to to learn how to get strong mm -hmm. and again I never pushed anyone to want to compete eventually people want to compete because they find that drive but uh yeah it was super difficult in the beginning and obviously I moved down here for a reason um mm -hmm. it's still not very big up in Canada but uh I just think if, any, if anybody's going to listen to this and they're kind of in a similar situation, just stick to what you believe in mm. and everything will fall into place as it should. You might yeah. have to work extra hard, but it will fall into place. Yeah. I think that there's this real sort of tug of war with uh, coaching, especially in the online sphere, right? Where you're told to be mm -hmm. as authentic as possible, but for some people, for some reason, Authentic means uh, you have to show that you journal every day and get up at 4 a.m. to meditate, and that's authenticity. <laughs> it's like, how is how is that authenticity? Like, if you do that, I'm not saying be ashamed of it. Like, if you do that, if you mm -hmm. genuinely do that, do that. But, like, being your most authentic self doesn't mean being something that you're not. And I can't believe that I actually have to say that, but it, it really does mean, like you said, like just leaning as, as hard as you possibly can into what you are what you are passionate about and so i guess like you being as passionate as you are and and seeing that through the early stages and early obstacles of your career like what do you think some of the more universal appeal is about strength training because you know that's that's obviously i think ultimately what can what we communicate to people like through our passions is like these sort of like higher order things like you can be able to tell people about biomechanics, but if you can't relate it to their lives and tell them how it's going to fix problems in their lives and change them in a fundamental level, they won't care. So what do you think is some of the more like universal emotional or psychological traits that this tends to give to people that you were able to tap into? Uh, I would say that it's, you can surpass any limits that you put up for yourself. Uh, that you might lay down because I mean I, I we've all done it we set these limitations for ourselves and and we create boundaries for ourselves that we don't think that we can cross mm -hmm. and I think what really draws people into that is this they get a taste for it they get a taste for what strength can really feel like and like I I'm gonna keep pushing this I want to see how far I can go mm -hmm. um and it becomes very emotional. It becomes very psychological. Yeah. And I mean, you talk to anyone in powerlifting, anyone in any sort of strength sport. And that's, I think that's evident, evidently what it comes down to is like, yeah. they just want to keep pushing those limits. And, and it's almost it like carries, you, it, you, you like end up giving them that point, I guess, to like how you were describing your own origin in coaching is like, maybe mm -hmm. they start to think, Hey, 
maybe I can quit that office job. Hey, maybe yeah. I, you know, maybe I can, I don't know, leave, leave this partner. Maybe I can change yeah. this thing. Maybe I can move to Iceland. Like, I don't know. And that's where coaching is not programming, right? Coaching yeah. is how I see it is I, I try to be a mentor of sorts to mm. all of my clients. And whether, whether you believe that you're a mentor or not, in some sense, you, you are mentoring these individuals. And the way I like to put it is like, I tell everybody that I work with that you are capable of so much more than you think that you are. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you get that in your head, and you start believing that you can do anything you set your mind to, the door's open. Mm. It might sound silly or cliche, but like, I am a firm believer in that. Did I think I was going to be here working alongside Chris Richburg, one of the like best powerlifters? No. Yeah, but certainly one of the most renowned coaches <laughs> getting around at the moment, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I got the opportunity, asked by him personally, to come down here and be a part of his team. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, I never, ever thought that was going to happen. It, it almost, he, uh, it almost sounds like you should have like, don't stop believing by a journey playing in the background <laughs> while you describe it. But it's fair though. Like I'm not taking the piss because I, I completely agree. Like I completely agree with everything you're saying. And it's like, I think one of the great things about coaching is that or like the, the idea of realizing your potential doesn't ever have to be like this concrete thing. Like I think the important yeah. thing about realizing your potential is that maybe you won't um, ever fully realize it, but then that's sort of what makes it important is that like, even if you can't realize it in your lifetime, you could still potentially pass those same ideas down to the people yeah. around you and to the people that come after you right? That, that will continue to inspire and continue to bring people along on that journey with you. Yep. Well, what you pass on to the people that you work with, they're going to pass it on to the people around them. Mm. So it's, it's this, this line of inspiration that just keeps growing and growing. growing. Yeah. So. so what was, I mean, you, you, again, you made another big change, right? Like you picked yourself mm-hmm. up from Edmonton and you moved to Washington state mm-hmm. I had yeah. to get that right, Washington State, um, <laughs> which is Pacific Northwest. Yes. Am I getting all this correct? Okay, good. I'm yeah. terrible with geography. I'm really good with trivia, but I'm terrible at geography. So you picked yourself up and you moved down there. What, what was your biggest motivation for doing that? What were you seeing as like, you know, you mentioned that um, the even like the powerlifting culture, I guess, is quite mm-hmm. different in the States. You said it's mm-hmm. still not as big in Canada. It's a lot bigger in the States. Like mm-hmm. what was your, what was your primary motivation for making that move? Um, it, it just felt like it was time. Uh, it, this might sound silly, but like growing up in Edmonton, I never felt that I was going to always be there. Mm-hmm. And I felt that there was always something bigger or something more out there for me. And I just wasn't sure what it was. And this opportunity came up and there wasn't a lot going on in Edmonton. Obviously COVID, we were going through that. And I, I didn't know yep. what was going to happen down the line. So this opportunity came about and I would have been absolutely silly to not take it. Mm-hmm. I had nothing holding me back. Um, family is very small back home, you know, and single individual. I have no family of my own. So I just said like, this is what I want to do. 
this is, I, I, I want to one, grow my online business, but two, mm-hmm. I want to be more part of an industry that I love so much. And I love powerlifting. I love what it brings to people. I love the community. And obviously I just love strength. So it was just, I knew it was right. Mm-hmm. I didn't question it. Um, I came down in September of last year and Chris and I briefly talked business. And when I went back home, I kind of just messaged him and was like, is this really going to happen? Are we going to make it happen? He was like, I will do what it takes to get you here. Mm-hmm. And he said that I started packing all my stuff up, put it into storage. I competed November 6th or no, I competed November 7th and I was moved down here on November 11th. Nice. <laughs> That's a, that's a, that's a big move. I, I think moving is stressful uh, enough on its own, let alone when you've just competed and are probably feeling a bit busted up. <laughs> uh, it was, I, I was a stress case. Basically. <laughs> like, I'm leaving everything behind. Oh, and then you have to deal with immigration on top of that. Oh my goodness. That was, I got lucky and a friend that follows me on Instagram actually reached out to me and he lives in New York he went through the same process that I went through and he helped me through every step of the way like super grateful for that so Mm -hmm. because it's a very stressful process yeah extremely for sure I mean I can speak to that for sure I've gone through it like a couple of times and you (laughs) have this way of talking to you and making you feel guilty for nothing like your your paperwork can be absolutely pristine and you feel like oh my god Mm -hmm. like I, I that's it it's over this is not going to happen, even though everything's perfect. So yes. what, um, in, in terms of like moving down to the States, what are the biggest differences in powerlifting or coaching culture that you've noticed? Because he commented on that. But what are those differences? What's, what's sort of been like the, the biggest um, points of difference that you have noticed so far? The amount of individuals that are very willing to jump in and start strength training. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't have to go out and, I guess, seek it. Whereas back home, I felt like I had to really, really push it and promote yeah. myself a lot. Whereas down here, I just, I have people coming to me all the time. And that's very, very different. And that's very cool. And I'm very appreciative of it. It's just, it, 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 there's more, there's just more of a desire particularly from women to get under a barbell Mm -hmm. to just want to get strong yeah so what do you think is maybe i mean you know i i think like 80 85 percent of the people that we work with on our powerlifting team here in adelaide are female Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. i couldn't tell you precisely why but I guess there is starting to become this shift in um, powerlifting becoming somewhat more accessible to a wider variety of people, as opposed to being just sort of like that archetype yes. of like, you have to be bald and tattooed and, you know, yeah. super, super heavy uh, in order to powerlift. And I guess like it's becoming more widely recognized on social media, which I think mm-hmm. is good. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe also some pitfalls there. Like, what have you seen in terms of the more, the greater level of acceptance in the wider powerlifting community of bringing people in that's been positive? And what do you think are maybe some consequences that we're also seeing from uh, powerlifting becoming more widely socially recognized? 
consequences, I would definitely say these, uh, I competed one time and now I'm a coach individuals. Mm -hmm. There's a lot more of those because this sport is growing so much that it's, it's overwhelming to try and find a coach. Yeah. A good coach and people, particularly if you're new and I, I can speak for myself, like when I reached out to Chris to be my coach, I, I didn't feel like I was worthy of his coaching as silly as that sounds but you get these individuals that are fresh they're just starting out and they might see somebody like Chris Bridgeford himself and be too afraid to reach out to him for coaching and so they're going to go with this this maybe smaller coach yeah that really doesn't have the credentials to be coaching yeah like the whole oh no they only train elite people I couldn't possibly work with them yeah and that was legitimately in the message that I sent for Chris. I don't know if you just work, <laughs> if you please, just work with like uh, elite level powerlifters or if I'm good enough to work with you, but can we talk? <laughs> yeah. And more often than not, you find that, yes, they absolutely do talk. But I, I, I guess like what, um, what do you look for in a coach then? Like how, how would you guide people through that process? Like what do you think? the the level of discernment has to be um in your experience especially as a female uh, powerlifter and powerlifting coach um that would of course depend on the individual what kind mm-hmm. of person you are are you an emotional athlete um if you are do you need a coach that is more communicative that is going to have more um empathy um and a good example of that is paulo need who is my nutrition coach Mm-hmm. Um, also a friend, um, and he is a fantastic nutrition coach for myself because of my history with eating disorders. Mm-hmm. He knows my mental struggles with like just my physical being, and he's empathetic towards that. However, he holds me accountable, and he calls me on my shit, which I appreciate. Yeah. Um, and then from a training coaching standpoint, um, you know, say you're a more independent lifter like myself. Uh, I don't need to have a coach there all the time, giving me feedback all the time. But if I request it, it's there. Mm-hmm. So if you're seeking out a coach, seek out a coach that is going to match you on a personality level. Yeah. Um, and tick off those boxes. Like, have, it's okay to have a checklist of what mm-hmm. you're looking for. Because at the end of the day, you're going to have a relationship with this individual. Yeah. I think and maybe what a... What are some red flags then, I guess, to you? Because, you know, I think maybe a better question would be that. Like, what do we think some red flags are? Because there's a lot of things that you might actually find that you are really open to over time and, and mm-hmm. that will probably develop. But like to you, what do you mm-hmm. see as being like, oh, like that, that should really be um, something that you look out for? Uh first thing I would look for is like how long have they had their clientele like are they constantly refreshing clients are you Mm. constantly seeing new and different athletes on their roster or have they held on to athletes for six months a year two years etc always having three spots open Um, exactly yeah (laughs) (laughs) and don't get me wrong that's okay you can always have room for more Mm -hmm. but if they're constantly recycling different athletes that's a flag Mm. um next thing i would look for is how are they themselves as an athlete you know how how do they train how do they perform how do they perform on the platform 
how are they when they compete? Um, something that I've learned for myself over time is like you are a representation of your business. Absolutely. And you as an athlete, if you are going out there and stepping on the platform and you're throwing hissy fits, that's not an attractive quality as a coach. Yeah. You need to keep your shit together. It like mm-hmm. it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what position you're in, if you're the athlete at that time or if you're the coach, you need to keep your shit together because you're representing the, yourself. Yeah, in the uh the the in, inevitable post meet recap where um somehow it's always the judge's fault or you know it's (laughs) like oh you know got some bad calls or it was treated unfairly it's like i think a lot of those really small things do indicate to you how people um perceive what's going on i i guess internally for them because that that is going to be how they communicate to you right like they're they're going to very much be giving you what their perception of the sport is and so you yes. need to be wary of that. Is that coach capable of holding themselves accountable? Mm. Um, something, again, with coaches, coaches have coaches. Does that coach you're looking at, have they been through multiple coaches over a short period of time as well? Mm-hmm. And that, that's yeah. going to show you, like, are they accountable? Um, so you just, those would be, like, my checkboxes yeah. that, that I would check off in looking for somebody that I would stick with. Yeah, I think um, like the, the you know, going through multiple coaches in a, in a short amount of time as well, that's obviously like a lot of it's just indicative of, of behavior, right? Like mm-hmm. when you go through um, a lot of coaches in a very small amount of time, you, you have to think, okay, what's the common denominator here? Can it be that yeah. every single one of those coaches got it, got, you know, got it wrong? Or is it maybe that this person is resistant to change or feedback in the same way with um, competition? And I think this is where maybe people get things a little bit confused is that you don't necessarily have to be the single greatest competitor, but I think like you said, how you compose yourself in competition mm-hmm. speaks a lot better than you know your numbers like i know some people that are relatively strong um but are are just kind of awful people and it's like do you really want to be coached by them like how often are they you know spending their days calling people out on social media you know how often are they talking about how x y and z is wrong or an idiot or you know this person's too skinny don't listen to them this person doesn't lift enough don't listen to them you know like I, I'm sure you've seen that. Oh yeah, it's it's all over the place. And, and for yeah. myself, I, I I don't want to associate myself with a coach that does that, that finds himself online constantly in social media battles, or, or is just a loud mode. Mm. Like that's not a, that's not an attractive quality to me. And I'm not like that. And I don't want to be associated with someone like that. Yeah. And even if I had a client like that. I would separate myself from that client. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, in working with coaches, I do talk to them about there being such a thing as bad revenue, right? Like Mm -hmm. you can take somebody on and just because they're paying you doesn't mean that it's good for your business or good for your coaching. Because if somebody is doing the wrong things and they won't listen to you about the behavior, again, it's like, you know, they're representing your business as much as you are representing your business. And if they know that, 
if, if people outside know that this individual is associated with you and what you do, you have to consider what the optics are going to be. Like I, you know, I chew my lifters out sometimes for being in the gym and dropping the bar from the hip in like a commercial gym, because I'm like, don't ever do that. Right. Like don't do that. And I, I, I don't really care what, what the excuse is. I'm like, don't do that, man. Like I don't want that behavior associated with what I do as a coach. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's too much of that crap on social media today. And yeah. uh, a lot of our business is on social media, but like that's mm-hmm. how business is today. Yeah. So be very cognizant of what you are seeing this say coach, you are wanting to, reach out to see what their content is like yeah so yeah absolutely it's it's weird that we have to say that but it is an aspect yeah for sure so how have you found um transitioning like as you know we've talked a lot about coaching but what about as a competitor like what have your experiences actually been as a competitor now um particularly in an untested federation right you compete untested i'm not sure of which specific federation you compete with but you, it's untested so there's a couple um there's the wrpf and then there's okay. the usba yep okay so what's been your experience in making that transition um to competition in the states as well uh well competition is definitely a lot more fast down mm-hmm. here um i'm a 165 athlete so <laughs> Uh, the 165 females, uh, obviously, you know, people know who Hunter Henderson is, Brianni Terry, like mm-hmm. all top 165 athletes. But just in general, it's a, it's a very broad weight class right now. And uh, I like that the competition is more vast. Mm-hmm. Um, from a competitive standpoint, it's been interesting to see the different environments of competition. Um, like I, I recently attended the Kern and that was insane. <laughs> that would be pretty <laughs> electric. I imagine it was top level lifters. Um, it was a huge show, but like at the end of the day, a meet is still a meet. It's just yeah. a meet every, everywhere you go. Um, I competed for the first time internationally down in uh, Kansas city, Missouri. Um, and JP price with, uh, SBC, uh, barbell, they host that and mm-hmm. they, a phenomenal meet and they I would literally just go there to compete because they hold such a great meet mm-hmm. um, people down here that I have met that are a part of the community that I'm in really put everything into the competition and they really really put everything into the athletes not saying it's not like up, like that up north in Canada but mm-hmm. it's it's very different down here. There's just so much more. Yeah. And people love the sport so much that it's, it's just, it's always fun. Yeah. So in terms of like wanting to compete, and again, I, I think this is something that um, a lot of people often come across is, is, you know, you're competing with some, I mean, Brianni Terry and, and Hunter Henderson mm-hmm. are two of the best in the world, right? Yes. Like they're, they're arguably two of, two of the best in the world and you have no hesitation in competing 
against them because it's just like <laughs> just who shows up in the, on the day, right? Like you, you just show exactly. up and you, you have to get it done. They might be there or they, or they might not. So what would you say to people who seem to have this idea that I'll compete when I'm ready or I'll compete when I feel like my numbers are good enough when you are competing against two of the best people in the world. That's a, you know, I'm not saying that you're not a good lifter. You're an exceptional lifter, but you know, that's also a reality that you're having to face quite regularly. What do you say Mm -hmm. to the people that are newer to the sport that are just simply like, um, you know, I'll compete when I'm ready. My numbers aren't good enough yet. I mean, it's as simple as like, you're never going to feel ready. So you just got to get up there and do it. Cause like I've, I've been competing since 2016 and I'm never ready to step in the platform. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know you still get nervous, right? You still get very nervous. Absolutely. Yeah. But the fact that you get nervous shows that you care. Mm. Um, what I really just try to make them understand is that like the competition is one day. It's a few hours. You have to learn to enjoy the aspect of training. Yeah. Enjoy the every day that you put into it because that's what you really need to think about. That's where everything is built. It's not, it's not about what happens on the platform. I mean, like, yes, what happens on the platform is what matters because that's what goes on up on powerlifting. Mm-hmm. That's where it counts. But again, it's a few hours on one day. Yeah. So you, you need to learn to love the process. You need to learn to love the monotonous, the, the, the squatting one day, the benching another day, the deadlifting another day, the benching two other days, and then maybe squatting another day, depending on how many days you train. You got to learn to love that Monday to Friday, that Sunday to Saturday, whatever mm-hmm. your training is. You have to love that. You have to love that process. And that's going to get you on platform. Yeah. And it's, it's that everyday process that's going to, you're going to just do it, really. Mm. It's, there's no trick. There's no magic saying. It's just you're, you're really not ever going to be ready for the day that you step on the platform. You just do it. But that's also probably a, a good thing, right? Like I feel as though if there is a day where you're like, yeah, I'm ready, I've got this, you, you're probably mm-hmm. making some mistakes. Like I think that that nervousness and that or almost that level of hesitation just makes you pay attention to some of the smaller details. Like yes. uh, I think you've, you're fine with a lot of the – high level lifters, although they get used to the stress, they're still very detail oriented, right? Like mm-hmm. they've got their habits and and they they always go through those same processes. So maybe when we're looking at people that are nervous about it, it's like, don't look at that nervousness as a bad thing. Like maybe no, it's, it's a, a strength that you can actually lean into. And, and like you said, it just really means that you care. It just means that it means something to you. Mm-hmm. And so, every time you step on the platform, it's a learning experience. Yeah, absolutely. So don't think about it as, um, you know, as a competition. Think about it as mm-hmm. a learning experience. It's another yeah. step for you to get better. What have some of your bigger learning experiences been from the platform? Oh, gosh. I bombed at my meet in November, so that was fun. Mm-hmm. That would be uh, hard. It was, yeah, it was, it was not a good time. But, is that your, your um, squad? It was. Yeah. Um, and in the squad, the squad is my weakest lift. Um, it has been one lift that I've really just kind of struggled to understand physically. Mm-hmm. But uh, we're slowly getting there. Uh, I just hit like a volume PR high bar 320 for a two by two today. So that's, nice. that's cool. Huge. Um, 
So we're getting somewhere, but yeah, I definitely, I bombed out on squats in November mm-hmm. and uh, I had, I don't want to say I had like a, sorry, you can hear the dog barking in the background. That's <laughs> all right. Um, I, I don't want to say I had like a, a hissy fit. I just kind of sat down and cried. I was disappointed yeah. in myself. Yeah. And then I had somebody come up to me that also bombed in the meet the year prior. And she said, you can choose to sit here and cry or you can get your butt up and finish the meet. You mm-hmm. need to be an inspiration to your clients that are here and your future clients. Yeah. So you choose, still got, choose wisely. You, you might not be able to register a total, but you still have six more lifts. Exactly. Yeah. And I got my ass up and I ended up going six for six and I PR'd all my lifts. Nice. So that's big. What do you think is important about that? I mean, you know, I've had uh, like a, a somewhat similar experience. I didn't, you know, I didn't bomb. Not there's any, like, uh, again, like if you compete enough times, you're probably going to bomb, right? Like there's mm-hmm. probably going to be like one competition that you'd be like, that's the one where, where I bombed. But, <laughs> you know, I'm, I missed uh, my first lifts in competition ever in March of this year. And they mm-hmm. were my third lifts uh, on squat and bench. And so they were like very exhausting misses too. You know, like mm-hmm. when you miss a third, it really takes it out of you. Like missing a third is probably harder than hitting a third. So yeah. going into that, I was like, all right, like um, got a decision here. Like instead of being down in the dumps, you got to finish, right? You can still finish. There's, there's no reason why you can't finish. What do you think is so important about that? Like, what message does that send to your clients when you when you chose to finish your meet after missing your squats? I think it just says that, like, you know, you you choose whether or not you're going to fail. And if I didn't get up mm-hmm. and finish that meet, I would have taken that as a failure. Yeah. But because I got up and I chose to finish feeling super embarrassed, it was a learning experience for myself. And I could walk away from that not being a failure because mm. I got up, you know, I brushed myself off and I went out there embarrassed in front of a crowd of people and it was live stream and I still finished the meet. Yeah. So you get to choose whether or not you're going to continue to move forward or not. Mm-hmm. That's up to you. Nobody else can do it for you, but we're going to make mistakes. We're going to fall down, get back up and keep going. Really, yeah. like as cliche as it sounds, that's really what I think that message is. It's like, it's part of life. You're gonna fall on your ass. Yeah. Do you want to keep moving forward? Cool. Then get up and let's go. Yeah, I mean, it, it's like when you see, especially topical, right? The Olympics just started, but you see people that are, are sprinting um, and maybe tear their calf or tear their hamstring and literally crawl to the finish line because it means so mm-hmm. much to them that they, they would rather say that they finished than maybe blame something external to them. You know, it's like, uh, you'd rather see that, right? Like every single time. And again, it, I think it speaks to more to the importance of competition fundamentally is that everybody has the intention of winning but just because you don't, just because you don't walk away with a gold medal around your neck, doesn't mean you failed. Exactly. Yeah, there's always some kind of quantifiable experience that you can take away from that. Yeah, and and just because you don't walk away with a medal or a trophy, doesn't mean you didn't win. And I know that like there's this winners win, you know, no participation medal sort of thing, but it's it's a mental win. It's an emotional yeah. win. Yeah. You got up and you 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 decided to finish when everything fell apart that's a win because mm. 
you you learn now you learn from that experience and you learn what not to do and what you need to change in order to not have that happen again yeah and i guess it you know something else important with that we were talking about oh you know i'll, I'll start when i'm ready it's like what if on the day that you feel ready hunter henderson shows up right exactly. like you can't control who shows up it, you know the day you feel ready ray williams shows up you just like it it's the same thing with like you get to look at your competition you get to see the fight list you get to see who you're lifting against mm-hmm. you know you could say oh this, this chick I'm, ne- I'm never gonna i'm never gonna beat her you never know what's gonna happen on that day yep. she could blow her quad next thing you know you're in first place yep so. or even they're like the just the fact that somebody else showed up doesn't mean that it, it somehow influenced the level of effort that you put into your own preparation. Like it didn't. Exactly. Like, so, you know, you can only think about yourself and what you've put in and, and that's really all you should ever focus on. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm sure a lot of people have heard this throughout powerlifting. If you join the sport, it, it's, it's you against you mm-hmm. really. It's you trying to be better than you were the last time. Yeah, you're you're competing against other people, but like you are going up on that platform to showcase what you have done. Yeah, I've actually seen a lot of people start to push back against that identity, uh, that that idea, and I'm going to push back against it. Is that like this whole you versus you, and people say like, no, you have to be in harmony with yourself. Like, well, no, because you, there needs to be a certain level of discomfort and friction in order for you to exactly. decide to become better, right? Like if you're in complete harmony, then there would be no need to do anything. I think it's yeah, like, again, it's like- push yourself. Yeah, it's like this disharmony that uh, allows us to, to push and, and become better. I don't think we necessarily need to see friction or, or anything like that, uh, again, as a bad thing. Now, we're not supposed to like- I'm not saying go out and seek suffering, right? Because no. that's crazy. But certainly there's nothing wrong with friction. No, there's nothing wrong with being a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. So the two questions I always finish with here, Amber, uh, what is something that you're seeing a lot of right now, whether it be through social media or just general strength, fitness, training, coaching culture, what is something you're seeing a lot of right now that is happening that you wish would go away? And what is something that you're seeing a lot of right now that you're hoping sticks around and grows? Something that I wish would go away. Oh, geez. Um, I honestly, I just, I just wish like, Everybody likes a little bit of beef and competition, but I just think it's so unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Um, especially through social media, uh, people calling people out, it's toxic. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, there, there was this whole thing in the power community recently and people, there was one side where people were just like, I love seeing this kind of like competition, people butting heads. And I understand that where it brings more people, it brings more eyes. But at the same time, I think it's, I, I do think it's toxic and I think it's unnecessary. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't think social media is a platform to be blasting other individuals. And of course, like you get to choose who you want to follow. You get to choose what you want to watch, but there's still going to be people that are watching it and they're going to feed off of it. And you're going to get one side versus the next. And I just like, 
I keep my head down. I don't become a part of it. I don't want to become a part of it. Yeah. I think there just needs to be less of that because yeah. we should all be supporting. It's, I'm super cheesy, but I feel like we should all just be supporting each other. It, it, it kind of comes the same with like this clash of like tested beds versus untested beds. It's all yeah. powerlifting. Why do we have to clash and like hate each other? We're all lifting weights. It's like we, we don't need to make any kind of moral assumptions about either a side in, in that scenario no. because ultimately like who is it helping i think like a lot of that animosity is just alienating more people than it's helping so uh you know you see it a lot like you said like um you know it's like coaches might call out another coach like oh you know this person uh they they don't know biomechanics or they don't know how to do this and they don't know how to do that it's like all you're really doing is further entrenching more sort of tribalist thoughts right because the people that follow let's say let you do it or like anyone if i'm if i'm the guy calling someone out i'm just further entrenching my own followers into listening to me and i'm further entrenching their that person's followers into only listening and defending them and nobody's listening to anybody in the middle ground, right? Like it doesn't actually yeah. leave room for open thought or open discussion. It's just like the, this crazy amount of, of like group think. And I think, yeah, it, it really just like eliminates the ability for anyone to almost like make up their own minds about things. It's like, why do we have to see an idea that we don't like, but attack the person because of it? Mm-hmm. So there's there's one other thing, and I yeah, think it, yeah, I'll yeah. just make a short. It's this oh, um, it. my way or the highway style of coaching and training. You know that, that there's been a lot of like zealots, I guess, out there. Yep. And it's like there's multiple different methods, and those methods work for different individuals. So your way is not necessarily going to be right for somebody else. So why do we gotta call out how somebody else coaches because yeah. you don't you don't like it? Yeah, I mean, I, I like to say that all roads lead to Rome, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> eventually you'll end up there. So yeah. we we might see something that we're quite apprehensive of, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's wrong. Because, again, it's like, how do you know? How do you know empirically that it's wrong, especially if that person is getting results, if that person is getting stronger? In exactly. Exactly. And that is what we want. We want our clients to get results. Yeah. So who are you to say that what that coach is doing is wrong? Maybe you could learn something from them. Exactly. Yeah. Ask questions instead of attacking. Yep. Good. I like it. And something that you hope will grow, something that is happening that you actually think, okay, this is good. I'd like to see this, you know, grow, spread, stick around. Okay. Um, maybe this is going to be a little silly, but I'm a female, so I'm going to say that I really love seeing more women becoming okay with one, gaining muscle and two, gaining some weight. Mm -hmm. Um, and we're getting away from this, um, I need to be small idea. It's okay to be a little big. It's okay to pack on some muscle. It's, it's okay to, I'm 170 pounds. When I started, I was 136 when I first weighed in. That's, that's over 30 pounds in six mm -hmm. years. And I'm better for it. I'm healthier for it. 
And that's starting to shift where girls are starting to understand that eating more is not going to necessarily make them fat. So this is maybe coming from more of a nutrition standpoint. Um, yeah. There's becoming a lot more understanding that 1200 calories a day is, is not good for you. Mm. And yeah. girls are seeking out um, more education on, you know, maybe, maybe you should be eating a little bit more carbs are not bad, all this stuff. It, it's like fuel your body. And that, that's what changed my mindset. And that went in like working with Colony, he really helped me change that, that mindset and put that switch in my head um, mm-hmm. that you need to feel yourself, whether you are an athlete or you're just, just a person doing everyday things, you need to fuel your body. And I want to see this continue where more women are starting to understand that. And yeah. they're not starving themselves and yeah. they're wanting to get into the gym. They're wanting to put muscle on. They're wanting to get strong because that's really freaking cool. Yeah. I think, it, and again, it's like not to cast aspersion against anyone that values being lean. It's just to say that we, we can create this like open environment for people that don't want to be lean, that they just feel the pressure or expectation to be lean. It's like, you don't have to do that. There's nothing wrong with being lean. Absolutely yeah. nothing wrong with that. I think there, there's a good balance of, um, particularly for women, we we need to have X amount of fat on our bodies mm-hmm. for our hormones to freaking function. So th- there's of course a level of like this 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 self love and, and o- obesity. I'm not going to get into that, but but I just want to keep seeing women understand that it's okay to eat food. Yeah. It's, it's okay to grow a little bit rather than this. I need to be skinny to be accepted. Mm. And maybe, you know, valuing uh, strength and it's strength and it's sort of like offshoots like uh confidence and and being quite self-assured and self you know self-possessed and, and quite it certain of yourself does. it changes how you see yourself immensely and can speak firsthand on that that once i touched a barbell and i started to get strong and my body started to change because of what i was doing so going back a little bit when i first went into the gym and i was looking for that trainer i specifically said I just want somebody to teach me how to get strong. Mm-hmm. My body will gain muscle and it will lose fat accordingly. I just want to get strong and the rest will follow. And I want to see more girls start doing that and mm-hmm. continue to do it because they're starting to. It's like, how awesome would it be if you just focused on what you can do as opposed to yes. specifically what you look like on either end of those spectrums, yeah. right? Like what if you just focused on what you could do and what you can accomplish? And I mean, you know, coming from a strength sport, powerlifting mindset, just because you're a powerlifter doesn't give you an excuse to eat like shit. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. I mean, you but, know, I, I, mean, I get it. I'm 120 kilos, right? Like I get that yeah. for sure. I'd love to be able to just crush um, – pizzas and KFC zinger boxes all the time, but it probably, you know, it wouldn't maybe be as conducive to me performing or feeling good every day, 
but it exactly. also doesn't mean that I can never have that stuff. It just yeah. think about what's going to make you feel good. Think about what's actually going to contribute to your health and your performance long-term. Yeah. And, and in working with women, I mostly do work with women in person, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're getting on that path of learning how to eat better and learning how to eat more food to fuel them. And they're mentally feeling better. Their bodies are starting to change and they don't want to eat poorly because it makes them feel like crap. They're becoming mm-hmm. more aware of what that food makes them feel like. Yeah. It's okay to do every now and again, and they understand that, but they like how they feel when they eat well, and they're eating more at the same time. So I just, I want to continue to see this, this positive trend of women accepting more food into their lives, accepting mm-hmm. that, that their body is going to change and continue to open that door. Yeah. Good. I like it. Okay. Amber, that's, uh, that's it for today. So thanks heaps for your time. Thank you for um, contributing to, to everything that we had here today. I guess if anybody's looking to get in touch with you, whether that be for coaching or just to, you know, talk to you about any of the ideas that you discussed today, how can they get in contact with you? Um, so the best place to contact me is via social media. So Instagram, um, and you can find me either just by searching Amber Dawn, or my handle is at a.dawn.vicious. Um, you can also reach out to me through the Generation Strength Gym social media page as well. Um, and that's just at Generation Strength Gym. Yeah. And we'll also have, um, you know, when we do a bit of a write-up on Instagram, we'll make sure to chuck your handles up on there as well so people can uh, get in touch with you. But uh, yeah, that's that's it for today, Amber. I really appreciate your time. Like I said, I uh, hope you enjoy the rest of your day. And well, thank you so uh, yeah. much for having me on. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it was also good to uh, hear. You, you have two corgis. Were they the corgis that were like barking in the background? I, I live with three corgis, actually. Um, I live with two other girls and one girl has one and another girl has two. So Zoe, <laughs> Lady, and Ellie. And they're... <laughs> yeah they're they're very cute i I hope that they can make a guest appearance if we have another one yeah so if anybody loves corgis follow me on instagram i post them all the time (laughs) (laughs) all right mate well thank you very much and we will talk to you soon cheers sir see you